Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. For such a small town, White Clay, Nebraska has had a large influence on the Pine Ridge Reservation. The town sits on the edge of the Pine Ridge boundary. Liquor stores there were once a go-to source of alcohol for Pine Ridge residents. Now the liquor stores are gone and community-minded visionaries see White Clay as a potential source of rebirth and healing. We'll hear about the ambitious plans in the works coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A Native American Outreach Center is funding a liaison to coordinate investigations of missing and murdered Indigenous people in South Dakota. The state government position has been vacant since last summer. Lee Strubinger reports. The Native Hope Outreach Center in Chamberlain is issuing a grant to the Attorney General's Office to fund the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Liaison for three years. The grant is for $85,000 each year. The missing person specialist will focus on missing and murdered indigenous person cases. They will also coordinate with the U.S. Attorney's Office, Department of Justice, and state and tribal law enforcement agencies to bridge any jurisdictional gaps in coordination and training. Jennifer Long is Executive Director for Native Hope. She says the decision to fund the position was the logical next step for the organization. When we learned in the news about the difficulties in funding the office, we wanted to break down any barrier that existed. Breaking down barriers for Native America is central to Native Hope's mission. We want to impact this critical issue in our state. No more missing sisters, no more indigenous, missing indigenous people. The bill was passed during last year's legislative session. The position has been vacant since July 1st, which is when the office was established by law. Attorney General Jason Roundsburg has called the office an unfunded mandate. Democratic Representative Pri Purier is Oglala Lakota from Pine Ridge. She got the bill passed last session. You look across the news and you don't ever see good news stories. Um, today, let this be a good news story that we work across sectors, we work across aisles. When there is an important issue that needs to be addressed, we work in partnership together. Supporters say grant dollars mean the position can get filled right away and won't get stalled under the typical budgeting process. For National Native News, I'm Lee Strubinger in Pierre. Residential school survivors are seeking closure following the grim discovery of graves in Saskatchewan using ground-penetrating radar. More than 50 possible unmarked graves have been located near two schools, as Dan Karpinchuk reports. The Kiskus First Nation announced that 54 possible unmarked graves have been found near two former schools run by the Catholic Church. They were the St. Philip's and Fort Pelly schools, which operated beginning in the early 1900s. The chief of the Kiskus First Nation, Lee Kichimonia, called it a very solemn day. He said it is also a chance to provide some closure, but he adds that it also raises more questions. Ted Quayuzans is the project manager of the search. He's also a residential school survivor. The locations for scanning were identified by survivors and knowledge keepers from oral history. The ground-penetrating radar simply validated our oral history. Kisco survivors and families want closure as reclamation re-traumatizes our families. 
The former residential schools were located near Kamsack, Saskatchewan, about 180 miles northeast of Regina, near the border with Manitoba. Canada's Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, Mark Miller, called the discovery another painful reminder of the trauma caused by residential schools. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. A bill was introduced Wednesday in the Michigan legislature to recommend schools teach lessons on Native American boarding schools. The Lansing State Journal reports the bill would amend the state's school code to strongly encourage lessons in history classes in 8th through 12th grade. At least three Indian boarding schools were operated in Michigan. The bill was referred to the Committee on Education and Career Readiness. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, and you may choose which booster shot you receive. More info at aaip.org or cdc.gov coronavirus who support this show. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. For years, tribal members and advocates of the Oglala Lakota Nation in South Dakota worked to shut down four liquor stores in White Clay, Nebraska, a small town at the border of the Pine Ridge Reservation. The population of White Clay is about a dozen people, but the liquor stores supplied as many as four million cans of beer per year to mostly Native residents of the dry reservation. White Clay had a bad reputation and an image filled with people drinking in the street and passed out along the road. Nebraska's Liquor Control Commission revoked the licenses of all the liquor stores in 2017. In this hour, we're revisiting White Clay and the beginning of advocacy work and healing. If you're listening today from Pine Ridge on Keeley or on KIPI, we want to hear from you today. What lasting legacy does White Clay have? How have things changed since the liquor stores closed? Please join our conversation because we really want to hear from our Oglala relatives today. 1-800-996-2848, the number to call. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Porcupine, South Dakota is Tetewi Means. She's the executive director of the Thunder Valley Community Development Corporation. She's Sistan Wapiton and Oglala Lakota. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Tetewi. Hi, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Good to have you as well. And joining us from Pine Ridge, South Dakota is Fabian Kennedy. He's the director of Anpetu Luta Otipi, a comprehensive alcohol and substance abuse treatment center for the Oglala Sioux Tribe. Welcome to NAC as well, Fabian. Good morning. It's an honor. And joining us from Pine Ridge, South Dakota is Abram Newman. He's the director of Igluteka a homeless program. Welcome back to NAC, Abram. Hi, thanks for having me on. 
Tatewi, let's start with you. I'm really excited today to learn more about what's happening in White Clay. Liquor stores have been closed for almost five years. So please bring us up to date. What's going on now? I, I can bring you up to date as far as what we're, um, some of the exciting things we're working on at Thunder Valley Community Development Corporation. Um, I know Abram is, is still on the ground as well as Fabian there in their work um, with the community. And, you know, we hope to be a part of that picture of changing the narrative and the story uh, in the White Clay community. Um, but just to recap, in 2017, when the Nebraska Liquor Control Commission, um, you know, revoked the licenses, the liquor licenses, uh, I was still the Attorney General of the Oglala Sioux Tribe, and that is how I became directly involved um, with what was happening in, in White Clay and ending those um, liquor sales. Uh, of course, my involvement, my knowledge of, and, and um, indirect involvement started many years before that through my father, um, Russell Means, and all of the work that went into uh, ending liquor sales there. You know, it was decades and decades of work by many community leaders, community partners, grassroots efforts um, to bring light to that situation of, you know, the tremendous profit that those individual beer store um, owners had, but also the, the, the extended profits and benefits that the whole state of Nebraska received because of the tax revenue that was generated there. Um, and so it's, it was a long time coming when it all culminated there in 2017. And also just recognizing the work of many other um, non-Lakota allies. Um, Frank Lemire, who has since departed this world and made his journey to the next world, um, was very instrumental in that um, 2017 effort to end those liquor licenses. And so, you know, since then I've been in communication with, with many partners that um, were fundamental in that effort in 2017. Since that time, I've transitioned from the Attorney General to my role here at Thunder Valley, and we're excited to be a part, as I mentioned, of, of changing the narrative there, changing the story, and really rewriting the community's healing story. Um, we recently purchased um, a, a piece of property, nearly 48 acres, um, from an individual that, um, his name is John Meesh. He's an attorney, and he, he's out of Oklahoma and he was determined to make sure that there were some sort of reparations um, that brought back uh, justice and healing to Lakota people as a result of all the harm and trauma that was done there um, for many years. And so, um, you know, we've, we've acquired this new piece of property, and, you know, we're a community development corporation, so one area of our expertise is in developing communities. And so um, our intention is to uh, create a healing community with permanent and um, permanent supportive housing and transitional housing. You know, one of the many issues we face here on the Pioneer Reservation is the lack of housing and lack of that type of infrastructure. And so, um, you know, this is our effort to provide a safe space, a really um, intentional space for healing for many of our relatives um, that suffer from alcohol and drug addiction, mental health issues, uh, domestic violence situations, a place for them to go um, where they don't have to um, leave if they don't want to. Um, but that's that's one exciting update that I'm able to offer today. Well, you mentioned John Maish and also the late Winnebago activist, Frank Lemire, who I know worked for many, many years to get those liquor stores closed. And I'm, I'm curious, so you know, obviously you've got some really exciting ideas, some plans that you're going to put into action, but 
after these liquor stores closed back in 2017, what was left there in white clay? What did you have to start out with? Uh, I know that the tribe was, um, you know, there's a nursing home that's operated by the Oglala Sioux tribe. So many of our elders um, have a place to go that's that's there. So, you know, a part of changing the narrative and, and making it a place that provides, you know, a home. For, for some of our elder relatives. There's a few other businesses that are frequented by our community members. We're still operational. Um, but I know that crime statistics, you know, I, I don't know the specifics, but the incidence of crime and violent crime um, drastically decreased as a result of the beer closure. And that was one of the reasons, one of the major reasons and factors into closing the beer, um, the beer store, because of the um, law enforcement issues or lack lack of law enforcement in those areas. And so um, I know that has been one positive effect um, in that community. And, you know, you'll hear some people talk about, well, some of our relatives that are facing these tremendous addiction issues, they've just moved more into, like, the Pine Ridge Village community. Um, and and to me, um, what, that, what that does as a community member and as, as someone that's a part of this nonprofit organization it just gives more um, push and determination to create this healing community because we know that there's a need for um, a place for our relatives to go. Um, I know that, you know, Fabian Kennedy, um, a colleague of mine when I was attorney general, has been doing some great things there with, um, you know, his, his substance abuse program um, for our relatives in an effort to help. And, and of course, Abram is still there um, working directly one-on-one with a lot of the community members. Well, let's bring Fabian into the conversation now. Fabian, congratulations. A new treatment center there in Pine Ridge just opened this fall. Tell us about it. Yes. Um, so we've, we've been working uh, brick by brick to develop the behavioral health infrastructure here in Pine Ridge. But I wanted to you know, speak just to your point real quick. One of the things that um, they said was that after the, the closure of the beer stores, that the revenue that uh, the county, uh, Sheridan County, received um, through um, the sale of, 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 of the alcohol would drastically decrease. That was one of the, um, one of the opposing arguments to, to, to leaving those stores open. We actually looked at that data, Sean, and, and we discovered that that did not happen. There was a, a very brief period uh, where um, the, the revenue coming um, uh, in uh, – white clay uh, decreased, and then by not having the, uh, the, um, just the depression that the alcohol caused in that location, it allowed other things to, to, to bloom, like there's a dollar store, there's a restaurant, and, um, and um, Petaluta um, manages a, a five-acre property on the other side of the street from uh, where Thunder Valley is. And we've actually uh, renovated um, a, a home and an office. So we have an office there, and we started our first tribal housing for our program. One of the biggest issues um, on our reservation in, in terms of behavioral health is, is linking the professionals um, to, uh, uh, to, our, to our, our, the work. And so um, it's really important for us to create opportunities beyond um, behavioral health for the, um, 
for the employees to have housing and schooling. And so I think that White Clay offers a really good opportunity to have this growth. And we haven't seen another location like how White Clay was. White Clay was very, um, it was a very depressed area. When you drove through it, it just gave you a very heavy feeling. And so um, we're also looking really closely at the data in terms of crime and and health outcomes before and after um, um, the revocation of the, the liquor sales. Um, but we're not seeing the type of um, environment be replicated like was there before when those liquor sales were were uh, were uh, running. Well, Abram, thank you for those additional updates with uh, the current happenings there in White Clay. You mentioned a grocery store, a dollar store, and I also understand that there is a new makerspace in one of the old beer stores, and a makerspace is where people can just go in and and work on projects, technology stuff, uh, work on computers, build things. So it sounds like some really, really cool, innovative ideas that are, are being put into play. Folks, if you are listening today and you want to call in, please do so, especially our Oglala relatives that are listening. We want to hear from you and what your thoughts are on the recent developments and changes occurring in White Clay, Nebraska. The number to call, as always, 1-800-996-2848. Of course, you can always shout out on Facebook or Twitter as well. So please, we want to hear from you today. You're listening to the one, the only Native America Calling. We've got to take a short break. I'm Sean Spruce. You might still be reminiscing about your recent Valentine's Day romantic encounter, but the odds are you have better stories of dates gone wrong. We'll hear about missed connections, awkward silences, and bad chemistry on the native dating scene. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. Scholarship applications are now open for the upcoming school year at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're talking about the legacy of White Clay, Nebraska, a small town near Pine Ridge, South Dakota. If you live in the area, how have you seen the community change since the liquor stores were shut down in 2017? Please join our conversation, 1-800-996-2848. Also, 1-800-99-NATIVE will get you through on the phones. Before we went to break, we were listening to Flavian Kennedy, and he was talking a little bit about some of the recent developments, businesses that are in operation there in White Clay. And uh, Flavian, I do, I do want to ask, um, you know, White Clay, a town with such a, a checkered history. I'm sure there's a lot of pain there for a lot of people. Uh, tell us, why focus on programming in and around this town? I think it's important to correct the, the wrongs that were done 
um, when there is a wrong that happens, you've got to right that wrong. And um, uh, uh, that space there, um, transforming it into something that's going to be uh, healing, I think is really important, making sure that um, the members of the Oglala Sioux Tribe um, direct um, what that space is going to look like, and, and that's what's happening now. We've got a lot of our our imprint is there, and so um, it's just really important to just completely um, um, work toward um, a healing environment, and I think that that's what we're trying to do. Okay, a healing environment. Well, folks, we have a caller on the line right now, Melvin. He's listening in Santee, Nebraska on KZYK. Melvin, always a pleasure when you call in. What's on your mind? Well, in the 90s, I was working with for John Steele, the president there, and that white play was an issue back then, and we were finding different angles to shut it down. One thing we discovered was that white clay and 20 miles south and 60 miles along was a strip of land called the buffer zone. And there was supposed, that was to keep uh, alcohol and guns off the reservation that were coming, that the whites were selling. But there was land, a buffer zone. And how it was removed was Theodore Roosevelt, just by signature as executive order, removed that buffer zone status. But I think uh, that's something the tribes need to continue to look at, because uh, that's a lot of land that was involved, but there was supposed to be no alcohol or gun sale or where that was that buffer zone was created. It's always been a problem, white clay itself, the town because of the uh, liquor sale guys that would come up and trade and sell to natives at the time. But that's a little bit of history of white clay. It was a town that was built illegally because of the buffer zone status. You look on old maps to see a little square. That's it. That's the buffer zone. And I think we, another president can sign papers the same way Roosevelt did. You know, all it needs is a signature because it wasn't uh, congressionally passed. It was just the executive order. So I would encourage my overall bros to look at that angle for the history of that area. And there might be uh, a land that still belongs to the tribe in there. We didn't know because uh, we didn't finish the project because of the election process. John Steele was removed, but this, it's there. It's, it's the buffer zone. Uh, if anybody else has any history on that, I'd sure like to hear. 
Melvin, thank you. As always, you have such great insights. And, and of course, you've got so much experience with a lot of these issues. So the buffer zone, I want to ask Tatewi, I mean, you have the legal background, you were former tribal attorney general. Are, are you familiar with this buffer zone or any any actions that could be taken to reinstate it like like Melvin suggests? Um, no, thank you, Melvin, um, for providing that history and, and research that was previously done. Um, I, I've never heard that term specifically. I know the legal and land status of that white clay area has always been contentious. I mean, that, that's why there's the nursing home built there. Um, you know, there's a strong argument there. So it's in trust um, by the federal government. Um, just where the reservation boundaries end. And so um, it's definitely worth researching, um, especially if there are still plots that belong to the tribe or are held in trust by the federal government. And it's also interesting because that could be a legal basis for um, ensuring that um, liquor licenses are never again granted in white clay. And so um, it's definitely worth exploring. So thank you. Thank you, Melvin, for sharing that information. Well, let's bring Abram Newman into the conversation now. Again, he is the director of Igluteca, a homeless program. Abram, tell us more about Igluteca and how you serve the Pine Ridge community. Hi. Uh, so uh, Igluteca is a, a Lakota word that means um, make yourself new or renew yourself. And uh, we're a homeless ministry um, with a goal to help people uh, get out of homelessness and poverty and addiction. Um, so just a, a little bit of background on, on how I've been involved with White Clay. Um, I moved out into White Clay. I was one of those 12 residents back in 2015, and I worked with the homeless population there. Um, and so during that time, I was just kind of, um, I didn't really have too much of an agenda other than to just build relationships with the ones who are staying in white clay, to uh, keep an eye out for them, to uh, feed them, to take care of medical needs. And as those relationships develop, they'd ask me to pray for them or to sometimes even help them get into treatment. Um, so I got to see a lot of white clay um, very firsthand. Um, and because of that firsthand knowledge, was able to be involved in uh, helping close the beer stores down as well. Um, so um, with that homeless population that used to be in White Clay, um, after the beer stores closed, a lot of them, um, you know, continued to suffer from addiction. And so um, there's still a lot of work to be done. And um, when the beer stores first closed, uh, Frank Lemire really emphasized that it, we didn't have a whole lot of time to celebrate. We had a, we really needed to kick into gear and uh, do something to uh, start to right those wrongs. Um, so um, on that, you know, closing the beer stores really did help that homeless community. Um, back in white clay there was very little law enforcement very little safety as a result of that uh, there were many murders that happened there that went unsolved um, and uh, you know just 
so many different fights in a single day that, uh, you know, there wasn't that protection, that law enforcement to make sure that stuff didn't happen. Um, so now the homeless, some of them have gone up to Rapid City. Some of them are in Pine Ridge. Um, uh, one of the other good things now is um, alcohol is still available on the reservation. Um, that's, you know, where there's a demand, there's always going to be some sort of supply. But um, I've noticed for uh, my my homeless family that there's not the same levels of alcohol consumption. When the beer stores first closed, um, there were some of my friends who, you know, I was looking at them and, you know, you get to a certain point where you've been around enough that you can start seeing, you know, someone has months to live from from before they die of cirrhosis. And I saw some of those friends start to clear up, you know, um, and maybe that's not going to save them from alcohol forever. You know, there still needs to be that support to help them change their lives, but um, it helped them to at least have another chance. Um, so as to what we're doing right now, um, Iglutecha is running a homeless shelter. We've got two uh, military quarantine tents at the powwow grounds in Pine Ridge. And that's where we run our overnight shelter. And then we run a day shelter over in, uh, at the Pine Ridge Reconciliation Center in town. And our big goal with this shelter, um, we're only gonna be operating through uh, May. And so we're working as hard as we can to help get people into treatment, get people into long-term housing um, or into other places where they'll be in a good situation once we're no longer able to operate the shelter. Now, Abram, you mentioned you were one of those original 12 residents, about a dozen people that were living there in White Clay. I'm curious, have any new people moved into the community or have any left? Is the population remaining pretty constant at around 12 people? Um, well, all left. Um, I live in Oglala now, um, so I don't have as much super direct knowledge of uh, what's happened with some of my other neighbors from over there uh, and who's moved in. I, I know the population has changed. Um, okay, um, sure. Um, Abram, I, I know another issue was that Wakeley was getting a lot of negative press. There were a, a lot of reporters coming around that area. There were a lot of pictures and videos on the internet showing some of the the challenges there. And is the press still coming around the community? Um, no, not not really quite as much. I feel like um, to me, to me, that's kind of. Uh, a little disappointing because I feel like there's so much more that needs to be done. And, you know, we can't just pat ourselves on the back and say, you know, well, we, we did a good thing. Um, there, but I think the story is a little less simple than it used to be, you know, because right. now it's um, not just an outside force that is, you know, harming people, but it's, you know, our, our own issues of, um, of government and, um, you know. Okay. So, um, Abram, I know you, Abram mentioned that 
you know, there is a, a lessening of, of alcohol use there in the communities. And Fabian, I'd like you to chime in and your thoughts. Um, are, 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 there, are you seeing less alcohol abuse issues? Have they improved since the liquor stores have been shut down? And if so, how? Well, it's it's hard to say, you know, that for sure. We, you know, we try to, um, our, our job is to monitor the size and scope of alcohol and other substance abuse on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And so um, we've seen, you know, over the past um, decade, an increase in, in, in uh, individuals coming to our agency needing help. We have saw an increase in poly substance use where maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, there were people that may have just had a, a, a substance of choice, and now we're seeing um, that uh, intersection of alcohol, opioids, methamphetamine, um, and other drugs, and, and now um, you know, heroin and fentanyl, uh, which, which are opioid-based uh, um, drugs, um, we're seeing that. So it's hard to say, Sean, if the increase is that we're seeing in our client population is due to the fact that we've increased our capacity to serve people over time, um, or if um, uh, there's a actual increase in, in uh, alcohol consumption. We're certainly seeing some changes to the way alcohol is, is consumed. Now, um, um, since the closure of the beer stores, we've seen, um, you know, an increase in, in bootlegging in some um, communities, including the use of, uh, of, of non-consumable alcohol mixed with water in water bottles and other kind of containers. Um, that's very alarming. Um, um, but like I said in the beginning, we, we really haven't seen a return to a, a white clay-like condition in any one community. Fabian, what would you like to see happen in, in white clay? Where would you like to see that community in 20 years? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see um, partnerships with, uh, um, with between the tribe and um, other agencies, um, including like Nebraska Medical Center, um, other um, behavioral health professionals that can provide, that can come right to the border. So uh, White Clay and the town of Pine Ridge um, is pretty much walking distance. And so um, that um, does give the opportunity for um, maybe some Nebraska professionals to come and help to correct the, the wrongs that were done by by offering addiction treatment services, mental health services, um, um, creating a, uh, a campus um, where um, those services, re recovery support services, transitional living, these are things that, I, I mean, if, if any one or a combination of, of those services um, are developed in the next several years, I would be very happy. Sure, sure, understood. Um, Abram, how about you? We've, we do have to take a break here in about another minute, but could you speak just to the, the lasting legacy of white clay? What, what is it, Abram? Um, I'd say, you know, again, my kind of my perspective really comes through the lens of, of the homeless population more than anything. Um, but I've, 
you know, right now I've been helping, uh, you know, children of people who spent time in white clay, you know, the, the homes that were broken through alcoholism, you know, there's, there's a lasting legacy there. I think fetal alcohol syndrome is a lasting legacy that, you know, we're still seeing the results of that. Um, but I'm hoping that legacy changes, you know, with being able to provide services there, provide housing there, um, create businesses there that help the people. Well, folks, you are listening to Native America Calling. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Big things happening in White Clay, Nebraska, and we're learning about them on the show today. So please give us a call. Uh, we got to take a short break. You're listening again, Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a seven-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is February 21st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are revisiting White Clay, Nebraska. We haven't heard much about the town since the liquor stores were shut down in 2017, but there are promising development plans. If you live in the area of White Clay and the Pine Ridge Reservation, tell us, how's your community changed in the last few years? Still time to join the conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848 or 1-800-99-NATIVE. Tatewe, I'm curious to know, you know, obviously the changes here in White Clay, um, not everybody was thrilled about this. There were some people that were making a lot of money, for better or worse, uh, from these these liquor stores, these beer stores. Has there been pushback uh, on these revitalization efforts? Uh, not so far. Um, I think that, the, you know, the state of Nebraska, the citizens of Nebraska, for those that you know, we're aware of what was happening in 2017 and have continued to, you know, follow what's been happening. Um, I think there's a sense of, um, like, what's next, right? And so it's an opportune time to tap into that. Um, like I said, this could be an amazing story. The potential, when you said, what's, you know, what's the legacy of white clay? I think the potential is that it can be an amazing story of what reparations in real time can look like. You know, there's a lot of conversation that happens nationally, internationally around reparations. A lot of time indigenous reparations are not a part of that conversation. But here's a specific real-world, real-time example of how, you know, a state, a state government and citizens of a state can provide reparations to an indigenous community in a really real and tangible way. If we... We know as indigenous people, as indigenous communities, we have the answers, we have the solutions for all of these challenges that we are facing. Um, you know, you, you've heard examples of things going on right now, and I think it's a multi-pronged approach that we're taking. There are some in 
immediate interventionist things that have to happen um, because there's a present need, and then the long-term plan of how do we really change the trajectory of our community when it comes to addressing substance abuse and healing. Um, and that's where Thunder Valley comes into the picture. You know, this healing community, you know, 48 acres to, de- to have an open canvas of what we want to see and develop and imagine, that's a tremendous opportunity for our community and our stakeholders to be a part of, right, to envision what could this healing community involve, um, include. And that's a beautiful thing that a lot of times our communities are left out of. Things are designed for us, they're imposed on us, but this is really a grassroots effort to bring healing to those that need it most. Um, but that's a long-term plan, you know, um, to see it come to fruition would be around four to five years before we're able to do that and a tremendous amount of fundraising. Um, so this is an opportunity for the citizens of Nebraska, the state government, and other entities in Nebraska that reap the benefits of the profits and the despair um, to give back um, to our communities, um, to these solutions that we are putting in place on the ground. So. I think the potential is there. The story isn't completely written yet, um, but that's what we're actively working on. Tatewe, Thunder Valley, um, you have an economic mission, but you also have a social mission. And I would imagine you come at it from a little bit different angle than, say, uh, a nonprofit or a community nonprofit that's focused solely on, say, education or healthcare. So can you talk a little bit about Thunder Valley and how your overall vision kind of fits into this long-term plan for for white clay absolutely so thunder valley envisions a liberated lakota nation and you know this word liberation is also you know it's trending in the in the social justice world right now people talk about black liberation um you know bipoc communities liberation and and very much indigenous people are a part of that effort and we have been have been from the point of colonization and what we've come to know here at Thunder Valley is liberation begins with healing. You can't be a liber- you can't be liberated, right? To be free from those chains of colonization, from those vestiges of colonization that bind our people, that um, you know continue to hold on to the traumas, the historical traumas, the current traumas. Uh, we can't be free from those things, from that mindset, until we have healing. Um, you know, and that takes efforts, a collective effort. Uh, um, from multitude of ways, our spiritual connectedness first to our Lakota way of life. So relearning and reconnecting to who we are as Lakota people and reclaiming that spiritual identity because it was ripped away from us. And then also incorporating more modern modalities of healing um, through substance abuse treatment, mental health services, um, you know, those types of things so that people have an opportunity to choose their healing pathway. Again, nothing paternalistic or, you know, imposing ideals on people, but allowing people um, that liberated thought process to find their own healing. And so, you know, we take a whole community approach. We have eight initiatives. Um, Everything is rooted in our life ways, though. We know that that reconnection to who we are, reclaiming our language, our spirituality, and our our life ways um, is, is the route. It's the pathway. So, um, you know, this falls right in line with that. Um, one of our biggest challenges at Thunder Valley is, has been how do we reach those most vulnerable in our communities? How do we reach those on the periphery? And when I was attorney general, you know, that was a lot of uh, the population we see go in and out of the system. You know, the recidivism rate is high because people can't stop using alcohol and drugs. 
you know, over 98% of our crimes are committed by people under the influence of alcohol. Alcohol is still a primary enemy here on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Um, people commit crimes that they normally would not even dream of doing when they're under the influence of alcohol. It was used as a tool of colonization and has continued to be used as a tool of colonization. So, um, you know, in order to reach our relatives that are struggling in that way, that don't have a safe place, that may want to be sober but that don't have a place to go to, um, how do we reach them? Well, this is this is an answer. This is a answer um, to that um, to that problem. Okay. Okay, and I do want to bring Fabian back into the conversation as well as Abram and talk a little bit more about these healing efforts, which are so vital to this whole mission. But I have one more question for you, Tatewi, and I know that at one point the alcohol store owners, they had an attorney and they sought to appeal. Uh, have they had any success or is there any possibility that at some point in the future that those stores could be reopened? I mean, there's always a possibility um, but I think that's why the work that we're doing now, right, the, the immediate actions that have been taking place since 2017 to reclaim that community and change it into something that's positive and hopeful, um, it's really important, right, because there's an answer, right? There's an answer to say, no, this is what we've been able to do as a community. And it's sad that it's incumbent upon us to do that, right? It's sad that we have to do that in order to, I guess, stake a claim in to why beer stores should not reopen there. Um, but the other part of this, you know, and I've been interviewed by several different Nebraska news outlets, is increasing that awareness across the state of Nebraska about, you know, the tragedy that was white clay and how um, how we're working to transform that. It's so important, right, that um, the the outreach to the community, that ongoing the ongoing efforts to communicate what's happening is so important so that it never ventures down that path again. It's always possible, um, and that's, you know, that is scary to think about, but I think all the efforts we're doing now um, will will serve us well to prevent that. Okay. Fabian, combating alcohol has been such a long-standing challenge in our Native communities. My lifetime, my parents' lifetime, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, I mean, we've all just lived through generations of this. And I'm curious to know, Fabian, how have treatment approaches changed in recent years? What's working? So um, we really rely on a synchronization of best practice and the cultural uh, ways of, of of knowing, and so that's really a big a big difference. Um, best practices include um, strategies at the population level, like closing the bear stores. That's a population-based strategy. Good uh, legislation from our tribal leaders. Those are population-based as well as um, communication that uh, affect a, com- a community's norms over time. Also, um, family and uh, interventions and direct interventions to clients that rely on what we call this trifecta. It's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that's evidence-based using motivational interviewing, um, medication-assisted treatment, which really changed the game for the technology in terms of um, uh, addiction treatment, and then social and cultural supports. When it's a three-legged stool that supports uh, an individual's long-term recovery, when you remove one of those legs, then the likelihood of long-term sobriety decreases. And so um, on Petaluta Otipi and other um, treatment uh, centers that are um, uh, 
positioned in Indian country uh, around the region are really trying to synchronize the those cultural based uh, uh, approaches with the evidence based practices. Fabian, one challenge that we all know about trying to fight alcoholism, and it's been mentioned already on the show today, is that there is always another town, another store where a person can go to buy alcohol. And White Clay certainly isn't the only predatory community in this area. So are there any efforts to bring about change beyond White Clay? Well, see, that's what we're looking at uh, pretty closely. We're we're working with um, a, a group of uh, researchers to, to look specifically at um, some of the, the crime and the health out, uh, consequences um, and as well as the sales of uh, revenue just to, to see exactly uh, what happened during um, the closure and, and following the closure and so that that information can be taken back to our, our leadership it can be taken back to our stakeholders and partners um, um, in the state of South Dakota and Nebraska to show them, you know, a case study of, of, of uh, what happens when you implement a public health strategy as, as this was. And so that's, um, you know, our, our focus is, is, was not that closing the bear stores was going to be a panacea for alcohol, but it was just going to be one arm in the overall population-based strategy which was focused on reducing consumption. And so now, um, even if those alcohol sales moved, you know, they moved into Pine Ridge where we have tribal law enforcement. They moved into Sheridan County where there's um, the county law enforcement and away from White Clay where there was virtually no law enforcement. So it's, it's, it's one strategy. And if we, as I guess Frank Lemire was saying, if, if, if you, celebrate it for too long, then you really missed the mark. We, we need to really uh, combat alcohol and all other drugs simultaneously with everything that we have because, you know, our, like our relatives depend on us doing everything we can. And so uh, programs like Ampetaluta OTP, we whittle away. Uh, we, we, we get up every morning and we do what we can um, and um, that's how we kind of proceed. And so it's a slow effort building infrastructure within the tribe is a slow effort. And, and any, any population is going to be a slow effort. But we've, we've added medication-assisted treatment to our practice. We've added recovery support coach model to our practice. We've added detox services through outpatient and inpatient. And so our job is to meet the community where they're at, um, to be ready to help when they're ready. Um, again, that third leg of that third uh, leg of that trifecta is cultural and social supports. So it's really important that the communities, you know, mobilize themselves. That the family in um, um, our area we call it the Tioshpai, that extended family, work on this issue. Um, it, it can't be one agency. It has to be everybody working together, throwing everything that we can um, at this issue to to uh, to make a dent. Abram, Fabian just mentioned the the lack of law enforcement 
in white clay. And that was just that just exacerbated all of these challenges. So can you tell us how have these law enforcement efforts improved there in white clay in the last few years? Uh, yeah, well, so in white clay itself, really what happened is that law enforcement presence just ceased to become really that necessary, that there haven't been as many issues in white clay. You know, the the homeless population moved on the without that free-flowing alcohol. Uh, there just haven't been the same issues there. Um now there are, you know, now that we are in Pine Ridge, you know, we are dealing with tribal law enforcement that has much more of a heart to, you know, protect the people and that is much more present. Um, and, you know, I know at times tribal law enforcement is, is pretty overwhelmed with the size of the reservation and the number of people, but um, we're, we're in much better hands now. Uh, I remember back in White Clay, um, one time I waved a, a police officer over, pointed to a vehicle right in front of him, and saw it said, that driver in that vehicle is drunk. And he just talked to the guy through the window of the, you know, through the window of that truck, and then followed him to the border and sent him into Pine Ridge, you know, right after, this was shortly after a kid had been run over. And, you know, we don't have that anymore. We have law enforcement that that cares about us and uh, that is trying to protect the people. Okay. Well, that's, that's really good news, really promising developments here. We're going to have to wrap up the show here in just another minute or two. But today, we, before we do that, uh, how can our listeners learn more about these revitalization efforts there in White Clay? Well, from um, you know Thunder Valley standpoint, always um, our website provides valuable information um, specifically on this project reaching out to myself or uh, another one of um, my colleagues here, Kimberly Pelkowski. She's our Director of Design and Planning. All of our information is on the website, but definitely interested in, in folks that want to help, want to be a part of creating this community, uh, stakeholders, you know, grassroots efforts, anyone. Um, it, it needs to be a community-wide effort to really um, vision what this place could be. So. Um, reach out if you have any um, interest in supporting the work. Well, folks, we've reached the end of the hour. I'd like to say thank you to our guests, Fabian Kennedy, Tatewe Means, and Abram Newman for their updates on efforts to revitalize the town of White Clay, Nebraska. Tomorrow, we're keeping the idea of Valentine's Day alive. We'll hear from the native dating scene about the worst dates ever. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening.
Support by Roswell Park, who know tribal communities face persistent challenges in health equity, such as cancer and higher death rates. The Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center is dedicated to advancing cancer research that will lead to translatable science, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations worldwide. Are you at high risk for cancer? A no-charge online assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org assessme. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.